Uh, greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. Uh, this is Jay, as always, the curator of The Stacks. And I'm your ho- co-host, Ho-Coast Shanna. Ho-Coast. Ho-Coast. Uh, and, and this week we are discussing the 1991 Wes Craven film, People Under the Stairs. Hey, both the movies we discussed came out in 1991 and have weird mystery basements that's true normal seemingly normal houses i don't even know if this one is all that seemingly normal like even when we first get there yeah like when we when we see this house from the outside it already looks pretty evil Uh, but that's that's slightly ahead of ourselves uh so this film i guess most notably that I want to start with is that it stars Everett McGill and Wendy Roby as the two villains uh, who are best known as Big Ed and Nadine from Twin Peaks. And this is shot, I guess, roughly concurrent with season two of Peaks. So they look exactly the same. They just have a little bit different hair, but yep, they look exactly the same. It's crazy. And like in Twin Peaks, they are a married couple. So it's really weird to see them playing these two characters as this sort of married couple. Uh, not quite, as as we'll learn later on. But yeah, it's it's very strange. Uh, and also really cool to see Ving Rhames in this as another yep. star. Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of screen time, but he's pretty great in the time that we do get. He's he's pretty crazy. He left an impression on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames is always pretty great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we open up with a young boy. Uh, this is our, our protagonist, Fool. And I feel like this is almost kind of a children's movie, but like an R-rated children's movie. You know, I kind of got that same feeling from it because this was very much... The child is the one who takes out the who who has to take on the evil overlords when nobody else can. It's very much one of those kinds of things. Well, and save another captive child, and he's helped out by other captive children, and like you know, he's the one who saves the day at various times. He's sort of our viewpoint character, and it does have a fairy tale feel to it, even though it's a very well, extremely dark fairy tale. Well, most fairy tales kind of were in their original versions. Absolutely. And and this is like the ghetto version of one. And and I think very distinctly ghetto. We we hear the word a lot uh, and it feels a lot like Candyman uh, in a lot of ways, where it, although Candyman is sort of meta about its idea where it's like we are looking into urban legends and how they develop, whereas uh, this one just sort of is exploring the concept of urban legends and like the modern fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, lost it. Okay, well, uh, so we open up with Fool, who's reading and playing with tarot cards. Uh, his sister Ruby, who sort of takes care of him, is a fortune teller. Uh, their mom is sick, and they're just sort of taking care of her in this pretty nasty tenement building they have this oh, really yeah it's it's i thought they were squatting at first well and we do hear that they're the only people left in the building that they've cleared everybody out and and the slumlords who own the place are kind of looking to clear it out and demolish it and they're just the last holdouts 
awesome. Is this where Ving Rhames just kind of shows up? Yeah, so Ving Rhames is this guy, Leroy. He's uh, quote-unquote a friend of Ruby. Yeah, I don't know where this guy came from, because I, lo- I love this bit. When I when he shows up at first, I think he's working for the landlords to evict them. Cause well, that's the like, first oh, thing he like, says. He's like, yep. hey, I'm sorry to tell you, you've been evicted. Landlord don't care if you got a sick mother. Landlord care if you got the money. And he's going off like that. But then he changes his tune a little bit. And it's like, oh, there's a way you could make money. Yeah. Uh, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So it's like, okay, this guy doesn't work for the landlord, but he's a pimp. And then after going back and forth with that a little bit, he's like, he busts out. He's like, do you guys want to see my treasure map? Oh, yeah. He he found this treasure map that he uh, got in a liquor store robbery. Oh, that's what it was. And And at this point, I'm just kind of like, who is this guy? He's a big character. He feels like the sort of character that you co- that comes in at the start of, uh, well, a, a fairy tale. Like he's an adventurer type. He's Gandalf. But like a shady adventurer type. Oh yes, <laughs> like yes, shady Gandalf. Hey, yeah. There's a treasure, a ring, or something. It's coins, actually, in this case. Gold coins. A, a horde of gold coins. Uh, so you know, may, maybe more like the Hobbit than like. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, so, I haven't read The Hobbit, so I'm going to pretend it's Lord of the Rings. Oh, The Hobbit's so much better. It's so much faster. Yeah, faster. I, <laughs> I was going to watch it. I was going to experience it through the movie, and then I heard that they made three. I've never seen like, I'm not doing this. I, I didn't bother with those, but the book's great. I, um, I have it on my shelf. It's a fast read. When I was like 10, I read it in the course of a day. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I really don't have an excuse. Uh, so we get the suburb, the, uh, the slumlords pretty quick. We, we see their evil suburb home. They, they have a place on Lenox Avenue, uh, sort of like a suburb of Los Angeles somewhere. And it's clearly like this pretty opulent place, but it also looks dark and run down. Uh, like kind we, we like, see it inside, like it's, it's very opulent. The, like it's a lot of rich furniture and furnishings. Kind of like if nobody kept up the Adams family mansion. Yeah. Or like, I mean, it's weird cause it seems like they do keep it up to a certain extent, but they don't use it. Like they don't put any money into it clearly cause they're just hoarding money and not using it they put money into it they just don't spend it well yeah literally (laughs) uh and we we also see that they seem to just shoot their own food which we'll learn more about later but uh because ed is just uh eating some meat and he's complaining about the buckshot in it yeah he's picking out the bullets as he's eating the meat yeah which uh yeah that's it it seems typical of the way they do things. Everything very unpleasant and inconvenient, but it's just it's it's the cheapest way to do it. I I guess. Uh, and we see uh, their daughter, quote unquote, <laughs> who's uh, dressed Alice. kind of like Alice, who's dressed like Cinderella two thousand. She's got the same like filthy tiny dress because she's just like I, again the they're they're just keeping her in rags in this creepy little uh attic room it feels like they're keeping her just to have her yes 
it, it is entirely for the purpose of acquisition, and that, that seems to be the entirety of their being. They are entirely about acquisition. Again, like dragons, they just have a hoard of gold, and they steal stuff, and they want to have stuff, but they don't really have any purpose for any of it. Meow. Like the dragon that uh, Bilbo has to slaughter in Lord of the Rings. Yes, exactly. Uh, so Leroy offers Fool, uh, as we like. I don't. I don't think it's mentioned yet, but the kid's name is Fool. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's I really liked the explanation of it that they do in the tarot cards. Like the the sister is explaining why he's the fool and why that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the world of tarot. Like, of course, the popular thing that you hear is that, oh, my gosh, my cat is freaking out. But the other popular thing that you hear is, like, the death card isn't necessarily bad just because it's death. And, like, the fool card seems – I don't know how familiar you are with tarot. I'm really not. I know a little bit here and there, but I'm Same, basically. Just just a tiny little bit from what I've seen in movies, essentially. But, yeah, like, there's there's nothing wrong with the fool card. It basically – it's like she says, you're just starting out on your journey. That's what it, the fool really is. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's uh, symbolic for the character as well, because he is a young character who's starting out into a journey of adventure. Like, he he does become a new adventurer over the course of this. He supplants Leroy uh, as, as the uh, starting point of the whole journey. Uh, so he has this treasure map, which which uh, reveals that these landlords, who uh, are their landlords specifically, have a collection of gold coins hidden in their home. Uh, and he, uh, Fool, and his friend Spencer are going to uh, get in there and rob them. That's the plan, anyway. That is the plan. Uh, and, and we even during these opening sequences, we're cutting back and forth with what's going on with these landlords. Uh, and we do very quickly learn, even before anyone goes into the house, that the child is definitely a hostage in some sense, whether or not it is their own child. And there's like we see a scene of... Um, Ed getting plates back from her after giving food and like the fork has gone missing uh, and he completely goes insane over it. But then uh, a hand comes out of the vent to give her the fork back. Right. I remember that because I, I, I was worried that uh, I wasn't sure where that was going to go. It's like, oh, did she mm-hmm. take the fork to uh, maybe one day try and stab this guy? No, it's um, a gremlin or a goblin or something. We'll right. later learn, of course, it's not a gremlin or goblin, but yeah. Right, and and what they do here, and, and they beat her because uh, for specifically feeding the thing between the walls. Uh, so they know that this thing is in the walls. There's this whatever we don't right. know yet. They they're definitely aware of it and. Uh, they're against it. <laughs> it's it's something they don't like. It's it's not something that they want supported. So uh, I don't know. It's it's a very strange setup, and this is a very very over the top movie. It's it's oh, constantly it really playing at a really high tenor. Uh, it, it doesn't ever feel like it's naturalistic in any sense. This one is like really high grade craziness all the time. 
Big Ed is such a huge ham in this. Oh, he plays it so big. Uh, but he's great, uh, and it's it's a shame you don't really see Everett McGill in more stuff. Like he's had not a lot of roles. Uh, like I, I I think I looked it up on IMDb, and he's had like less than thirty roles or something. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Like guy is so good. So Leroy Spencer and Fool uh, all infiltrate the place, and Spencer, who's their white friend, is the one who goes in first. Uh, pretending to be a meter reader. Yeah, so he he goes in, he convinces the lady to let her in. And, Although uh, she is dubious immediately. She's like, that's oh, not Oh, she's, she's like, that's she's not where the meter is. It. It's definitely more like she's letting him in so that she's going to kill him. Yes. It's definitely uh, the vibe she's giving off. Like, at first, she's like, no, there, that's not where the meter is. But then when he persists, he's like, all right, I'll play your game. <laughs> yeah. So then a few minutes later, she drives off and uh, Leroy is like, oh, no, there's no way she's driving off, leaving him alone in the house. He rather than is worried that something might have happened to him, she he's worried that uh, he took all the coins for himself. Yeah, that he somehow got them and got out that quickly. Uh, and, which certainly is not the case. And she just apparently didn't notice and was like, okay, well, I can drive away now. No, <laughs> that's a that's a weird conclusion to come to, Leroy. Yeah, a very strange uh, thought pattern there. Uh, so he gets a crowbar and they break in to one of the to like a back door. Uh, and inside this room that they break into it. It's clearly like a former funeral home business rather than a home that someone lives in. Like there's there's all these flower arrangements that are all rotting and like gravestones and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and also they notice that all the windows are padlocked from the outside. All the windows and like all the cabinets too. Like everything's all locked up. Um, so and, and then the... Uh, uh, an attack dog comes after them uh, and, oh, yeah. and traps them in the creepy kitchen with all the cabinets are locked and there's just piles of dead flies everywhere. Yeah, what happened? Oh, I, I, I'm so bad at remembering like what actually happens because they spend the whole entire movie inside this house. Pretty much like we, we only have like one sequence where someone gets out for a little bit. Uh, so right away, Fool wants to leave. He's like, no, th- this is this is clearly uh, a really stupid thing of, for us to be uh, doing. We, we are in extreme danger here. Uh, but Leroy is just badgering him about money, calls him chicken shit. He kind of bullies him into continuing uh, the the search for the gold. Uh, and so Fool goes into, I think, like a basement area. Like he's the go- one who goes into the basement uh, and Leroy is looking elsewhere in the house. Uh, and he finds a TV which is facing into a vent playing Gulf War footage, which is pretty wild. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, he turns it around to see what it's doing. and I think he turns it off. Well, like he's looking at it and he can't figure out what's going on. But then a hand reaches out of the vent. Uh, our, our one loose person under the stairs who will uh, later learn has to be Roach. Because I think he's the only one who's loose. 
Uh, and he he I think he just pulls the TV back to continue watching it. Uh, but he also then finds the dead body of Spencer with a gold coin in his hand. And the hand has been all chewed up. And... Uh, well, like the whole body has been chewed up. He's clearly uh, already been taken on pretty bad. Uh, and we also learn very quickly that the basement is a trap because uh, the there's trick stairs that are turned into a slide. Uh, and and the kid is trapped down there. Yeah. Uh, and we also see lots of hands and arms reaching for Fool uh, when uh, when he gets near uh, the walls, the you know where where the people under the stairs are, uh, who we won't really get much of a clear idea of for quite a while. Yeah, we, I, I like this part because you don't really get a good look at them yet. You don't. You kind of get a hint that they're people, but you don't really see what their deal is you get a lot of hands and arms reaching and and it's sort of like uh it's a zombie kind of thing you you have a night of the living dead sort of feel to it where it's just uh hordes of reaching things like uh, there there's no uh there's no humanity apparent behind any of it It, it's just seems to be a, a a horde yeah, like like reaching for brains or whatever. They're even kind of making zombie noises. Yeah, they mostly just moan and and groan and scream. There there are not really words that any of them have, are able to say. Uh, we'll we'll learn why later on. Uh, but ultimately, he is able to get away from there, and he finds his way through a door into the main house, and he finds Leroy again, who's just listening at a vent, uh, and. Fool believes that Spencer was frightened to death at this point. Uh, he says, you thought he was white before. You should see him now. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, I think it was all the stuff that chewed up his flesh, but it could have been fright. Um, they try to go out the front door, but it's electrified. Uh, oh, yeah. So this is this is like kind of like Home Alone meets Lord of the Rings. Uh, we find need, or while while they when they find out the front door is electrified, uh, we've also got uh, Nadine. I, I guess I I kind of tend to call them both Nadine and Ed because they don't actually they don't have, have names. They don't have character names. They're just mommy and daddy, yeah, uh, that's or their names. man I don't and call woman. Them that. No, a man and woman I think is how they're credited in uh, the actual credits. Uh, but Nadine is at the back door and she's bending up the corner of it to get the dog back in to go after them. Uh, and it latches immediately onto Leroy's arm. Uh, but they or fool smartly kind of drags them all towards the front door and they electrocute them all. They, they get oh, all yeah. electrocuted to knock the dog out to, to get it to let go. Good call. Pretty cool. Problem solving. Yeah. that. That that's what got me thinking of Home Alone. Right. Whereas, but he's Home Alone in someone else's horrible trap house. He's hardly alone. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, they try to get out of a second floor window when the landlords get back in, but the landlords uh, flick a switch that just totally locks the place down and also turns off the power. Now, did is this is this where he does escape? Like he jumps out of the pool? No, that's quite a bit later because uh, this is where Leroy gets shot and killed. Uh, Big Ed comes and shoots him, uh, and 
the the kid runs away in in like I don't know if he gets into the vents just yet, but he finds a rib cage and and it's starting to coalesce at this point that these people are probably cannibals. Yeah, yeah, and and then you realize that uh, yeah, this guy probably didn't go out and hunt a deer and pick the buckshot out of that. Exactly. Uh, and this is also around where Fool finally meets the daughter or meets Alice uh, specifically um, and learns from her that she and all of these other kids who are the, the people under the stairs are imprisoned in the house. Uh, and she's the only one who's not in the basement with the rest because, quote, she doesn't see, hear or speak evil. So she's the one who uh, is she she's the only one who's been able to avoid their wrath all of this time where where the rest of them uh, eventually i guess uh, all, all of the other stolen children eventually will say something wrong and get uh, put in the basement mm-hmm. and and in particular there's this guy Roach who uh, she says daddy is hunting Roach and he's Roach because he escaped the basement and lives in the walls like that episode of Bob's Burgers. Yeah, or the McPoyles. <laughs> uh, there, oh there's, <laughs> there's an episode of It's Always Sunny where the McPoyles are like this, and Sean Whalen, who plays Roach, is one of the McPoyles, amazingly enough. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so this is around where Big Ed is in the gimp suit on a rampage with a shotgun, which is amazing. <laughs> it's so good. He looks like... He looks like Tim Burton's Catwoman, but is a dude with a shotgun. Yeah, and and this is when Fool finally has to escape into the walls and vents, and and he kind of teams up with Roach for a bit here, and and like he and Roach are in the walls, going from place to place, uh, and Roach is just kind of taunting Ed, making him go from room to room, shooting at the walls, uh, and Nadine has cut off Spencer's hand to feed to the dog. In the meanwhile, yes, yeah, just the dog is uh, the dog's well fed, and uh, you kind of start to see how. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the police, please go ahead. I thought was interesting, like when we first meet the dog and the kid, um, Leroy is hiding behind the couch. The dog ignores the kid and goes immediately after Leroy. So I was like, oh, maybe the dog likes the kid, but then every other scene, the dog goes after the kid. So I always thought that was kind of weird. I think it's a situation of like a white dog. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard of this concept. It's uh, uh, usually dogs trained by white supremacists or KKK groups or things like that, uh, which are uh, trained to always attack black men. And I think that's the idea here, probably. Because there's a I lot of stuff that. about that. There, there's there's a lot of uh, American racial politics in this movie, and and it's not subtle. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Big um, Ed is always trying to say the N word. He says it a few times. It it, it does get said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like uh, when he shoots Leroy, I think he says something like, "The only good bull is a dead one." That's pretty rough too. That's bad. Yeah. Um. So this is also around the time that the police show up. Uh, they're investigating Leroy's van left outside because a, a van outside in suburbia. Well, that's that's pretty suspicious. Oh, 
right. And that was, I guess, the van he used in the liquor store robbery from earlier. Right. And they are able to identify it and they they take the van away. Uh, Fool is trying to get the police attention from the second floor. But uh, I, I guess the the windows are more or less soundproofed uh, because like we do be soundproof. Yeah, I figure they must be because later on uh, we know that they never shoot their guns outside of the house, but we know they shoot them in the house quite a bit. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, and and she and of course the cops aren't doing anything because she's all like, oh, would you like some more coffee, officers? Oh, some tea. Oh, I'm a perfect housewife. I'm not creepy. Oh, They're rich officers. landlords. They're rich landlords. Obviously, the police are cool. No cops ever gonna. <laughs> Cops are going to touch them. Uh, so yeah, essentially she gets them to leave pretty quickly, uh, and and they say keep your door lo- doors locked. And he says you can count on it. And this is also when they become aware of Fool being in the house. Like all this time, they're not even looking for Fool because they don't realize there's another person there. They just know that uh, Leroy was there, uh, but they see the items in the back of the van and they're like, oh, there's clearly also a young boy here uh, because of the clothing in the back of the van. So all the time that Big Ed was wearing the gym suit and the shotgun, he wasn't hunting fool at all. He was just doing that for Roach. He was and hunting I, Roach. Yeah. I figure this is like a, I get the feeling that this is kind of like a nightly thing for them because we see him in the gimp suit again. Oh yeah, this is probably just a thing he does. This is this is their leisure time. They don't seem to have any other interests other than like stealing children and hoarding gold. Yeah. Um <laughs> so the dog has cornered uh Fool upstairs. Uh Ed shotguns the door and Fool hits him over the head and escapes with Roach into the walls again. Uh, and he tricks the dog down a slide, which was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Sean Whalen, who plays Roach, uh, the way he plays Roach is very enthusiastic. Like, he's he's got this sort of warped sense of fun as Roach, which is really strange because he's in this absolutely horrifying situation. I get kind of a Lost Boys situation from them. Yeah, totally. But only him. Only him, yes, yes. The, the other ones more. are. So there's they, a lot of different fairy tale stuff in this. Like he's, oh yeah, he's like he's from Peter Pan. Hmm. Um, and Alice obviously is Alice. <laughs> yeah, and then we have Fool, who is Bilbo from Lord of the Rings, who takes the ring from the dragon and throws it in the thing. Uh. <laughs> Just gonna ignore that, huh? All right, that's cool. Sure. Um. Uh, <laughs> Well, and like Big Ed and Nadine are both just like, I mean, they're just man and woman, uh, like not only in terms of just generic uh, evil villains, like they're, you know, the evil step stepfather, stepmother, the evil step parents in a way. Uh, but also they sort of represent conservative America. <laughs> in a way. Well, like well, no, I, I, I'm more than in a way. way they're <laughs> very much representative of conservative America, and like especially uh, uh, the the wealth focused uh, sort of the prosperity gospel type uh, Christian deep conservative kind of stuff. Because oh, yeah. like you know they they're very very much about old money. They're all about 
accumulation of wealth. They are slum lords. They're very racist, and that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, it, it is no coincidence that uh, Jordan Peele is currently producing a remake of this, uh, similar to the Candyman I, remake. When I watched this, I thought, this reminds me of something Jordan Peele might make, but, you know, way, way less subtle and more over the top than what he would probably do. Yeah, uh, I'm very interested to see what the remake is like. Um, I, I My understanding is he's not directing it, he's just producing it, but could be interesting yeah for sure because uh, I, I i really like this movie it's a lot it's really good it's really fun uh roach and fool and alice all meet up in alice's room we get the background that roach's tongue has been cut out uh and this is also when roach gets shot he he gets shot escaping from alice's room but man and woman or mom and dad or whatever burst in uh and start shooting obviously uh, and then it's spring cleaning time. Oh, yeah. Oof. Which is, uh, th- this is probably the most brutal sequence of the movie, because this, this is where, like, you, you kind of get into uh, a tortury uh, sequence, like we see Big Ed butchering Leroy and eating pieces of him raw, which Oof. is, whoo, wild. Uh, and Alice has to go clean up all the blood, and then her her dress necessarily gets bloody in the doing thereof. Uh, of and, course, it, that's a huge problem. Yeah, uh, it's it's this nice white dress that uh, I, I believe Nadine sewed herself because they don't buy things; they only hoard money. Uh, so she tosses her into an extremely hot bath. Oh right. Oh, man, I, I had blocked this part out. But, yeah, she's, like, screaming and screaming, and she just tosses her in. It's it's very harsh. The, it's, it's, it's tough. It's yeah, tough and to then and Fool is thrown into the cellar, uh, and uh, Big Ed is like, I could have killed him, but I'll let the people under the stairs do it. And, and he's sort of assuming that they're just going to tear him up and eat him uh, because he, he has been feeding them people pieces for some time clearly yeah. uh, but not live people apparently because uh, they're all just pale and scared and superstitious and they're not really trying to hurt him in any way uh, and Roach comes and gets him out of there uh, he pulls a weekend at Bernie's with Leroy's body <laughs> it's a very strange sequence uh, and he gives uh, some gold coins to Fool tells him where to find the rest and you know, gets him to promise that he's going to save Alice, and then he finally dies of his gunshot wound from when he was escaping. He lived through that for a while. That, that... He had yeah. a mission to complete. That's true. He had to make sure that Alice was going to be saved. Uh, that, that's what he's here for. Let me see. What, what happens next here? We've got... Uh, Oh, yeah, there, there's a sequence where Big Ed is yelling at the dog, and then he turns around and Fool just comes charging out of a vent and punches him in the dick. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, make sure you look up um, uh, make sure you look up this movie on DoesTheDogDie.com before you watch it, if uh, that's something that concerns you. Yeah, I mean, the dog is sort of a villain in this, uh, and th- this is where we're right up to around where the dog dies here. Uh, Alice and Fool escape into the vents. Uh, Ed starts up the furnace, and they send the dog into the walls after them. 
but they also, <laughs> for some reason, also while the dog is supposed to be attacking them in the walls, uh, Big Ed is bayoneting the wall. Uh, and he's the one who kills the dog, obviously. Yeah, and he's freaking out over it. It's well, like, first kill Prince. Not no. First, he does a big celebratory. I got him song and oh, dance. Oh right, because he because pulls off the bayonet and it's got blood on it. He just assumes that he got fool, and uh, for finally they break apart the wall, and the the dog comes out. And they're very upset. the the dog The dog and their previous dog seems to be the only thing they care about. They have like lots of previous dog memorabilia on the walls and stuff. That's clearly the only thing that matters to them. Uh, and later on, they treat it so nonchalantly. They're like, "Oh, gotta go get another dog. Make sure well, it's yeah, a big one." They they obviously need another one. It's uh, part of their whole thing here. Uh, but the dog seems to be treated better than them or the children for sure well yeah uh they so fool and alice get get up to an attic window uh and he's like oh, wow you can see the lights of the ghetto from here uh and fool is able to get out he jumps into the backyard pond and he escapes uh alice is not able to get out at the same time uh you know uh, we we've got the people after them and Ed fires after him, but Nadine stops him from shooting because uh, you never shoot your gun outside. You know, that's their rule. Oh, yeah. Hearing gunshots outside is what ghettos are for. Well, uh, that, that's also because it, it draws cops. It's it's the suburbs. The cops will come to gunshots in the suburbs. Not oh, necessarily yeah. in the ghetto. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point. Never so, thought about that. Well, yeah. Uh, and so Fool brings the coins. He He's able to pay his rent and his mom's medical bills. And we finally get a little bit of backstory for the slumlords because uh, his grandfather, Booker, uh, knows a bit about their history. It turns out they are not a married couple. They're brother and sister or something. They're definitely a brother and sister. Uh, they, they're they a brother and sister who ran a funeral home, uh, and then they got into the real estate game, which is where the real evil is, especially in Los Angeles. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So uh, the so, whole thing is just buying up ghettos and bulldozing them and turning them into office buildings. Yeah. Uh, and... Fool has to go back for Alice, obviously. Like, he he did make this promise. Uh, and first he calls child welfare, uh, and obviously they're able to fool child welfare without any difficulty. They make the place really presentable. Uh, it's it's a pretty comical sequence with Ed just kind of hiding guns and chains in the walls all over the place just yeah. in the background while the police are commenting on how expensive and nice their antique furniture is. Like again, this this is one of the scenes. It's not subtle, but you definitely see the satire. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pretend that they've kept Alice's room as it was since Alice left us to explain oh, why yeah. they have this children's room there. Yeah, uh, saying, no we don't even have a daughter. Right. Uh, because as it turns out, they've chained her up to the chimney in the attic. Uh, but we, we won't see her for a little bit yet. Uh, but obviously the this the police are warned off and they they leave. But while they were there, Fool has snuck in and hidden in the kitchen cabinet. 
because uh, he knew that obviously the police were not going to be the ones to save her and that he was going to have to do it himself. Oh, police don't save anybody. Right. And and of course, at the same time, Ed and Nadine are also pretty aware that he's probably snuck in while this has happened and they play a tape to lure him out. Uh, and then obviously Ed's waiting in the bondage suit and comments comes after him, but he thumbs him in the eyes, which was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he gouges him in the eyes and then oh, what else does he do? Well, this is when he finds and then he goes and he finds Alice uh, where she's chained up. Uh, and she tells him that they can't escape via the pond now uh, because it's been drained and filled with broken glass. Uh, and we also find on the slumlord side that Big Ed wants to kill Alice and uh, Nadine won't let him uh, because she considers her to be her child. Right. Whereas Ed is kind of more just about like, yeah, he, he's just kind of into killing. He, he really likes that shotgun. Him and uh, him and the metal guy from uh, uh, Day of the Beast would be, well, they wouldn't be friends at all. One no, of them would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> or both. I, I think he'd get along really well with uh, the the homeless burning group. Uh, in, oh, in, my God. In he totally stat. would. Th- those seem more his speed. Let me see here. So. They drop a brick on Ed down the chimney because they're they're up in the t- top part of the chimney and it has different places where uh, you can uh, get into it through different rooms. So Ed's looking up at them and they drop a brick on him and then they slide down really fast onto Nadine and then carry all the way down to the main floor, uh, kind of getting them knocked out of the way. Yeah. Uh, and Fool gets the shotgun to go free the other kids, and Alice actually fights Mom, which makes her no longer quote-unquote under protection, such as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Fool gets Ed at shotgun point, but Ed pulls the slide trick again. Um, and now, is this the part where he, oh gosh, where he lets the people out? Uh, first, it's when Ruby shows up. So they hear a knock at the door, and they're kind of all oh, stopped yeah. forward. And Ruby is there to rant at them for being slumlords. And then they close the door on her. And then there's another knock at the door, and it's Booker, uh, his grandpa, who's who's shown up, and he's he's claiming to be police. Uh, but then he's also got an entire mob with him, as it turns out. And and things escalate very quickly from here. Yeah, yeah, right. Because they, oh, what happens there? Well, Alice they... drops straight through the ceiling and lands on Mommy. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. First off. Uh, and then down in the basement, which is where Ed has kind of like cornered Fool, uh, because, you know, he's down there with the gun. And because uh, he, he, you know, he pulled the slide trick, he got the gun. And Fool is uh, sort of being maneuvered along the wall by the people the people under the stairs uh, oh, while yeah, Ed is shooting at them. Yeah. Right. And so they're, they're drawing his shots to get him to blow off the lock and free them. Uh, and then they also guide fool to the treasure. Which is a literal Scrooge McDuck money vault with just coins and bills just all over the place. It's, it's a hoard. It's a hoard of gold. It's, like a dragon's exactly horde, completely. Yep. 
Mom locks the place down again. Uh, she uses a remote override button before Alice can escape. Uh, and then she's she's coming after her with a knife. But then uh, they get under the staircase and the people under the stairs literally burst out of the staircase and start biting her and attacking her. And then they just start coming out of walls all over the house. They pull a Jason Voorhees from the dock from that one movie. Oh, yeah, totally. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and Alice stabs mom and all the people under the stairs converge on her. They roll her body down the stairs to where Ed is. Uh, but he's looking for fool. Uh, and fool has meanwhile found also a box of dynamite in with the gold hoard. Which uh, is funny because he even says like, man, this isn't where I put the dynamite, but yeah. do you. Right. Uh, he creates a pretty clever ruse. He he puts a bunch of coins into uh, some burning candles. So as they burn, the coins are moving and it tricks Ed into thinking that he's just sitting there counting the money, which is what he would do. Even though it's not something a normal person would do in these circumstances, but it is what he would do. It's what a dragon would do. Just yep. sit there counting the money. Uh, and clearly, and like he even says, it's what I do all the time. It's like my favorite source of entertainment, just sitting here counting my money over and over again. Uh, Fool has wired the dynamite to a dead man switch, so he's able to get away from Ed. Uh, but he still sets it off anyway. Money explodes out of the chimney. And uh, uh, that's it. That's the end. Yep, everybody's just... Collecting the money, um, Ed is presumably exploded. He must Fool be. He, is, he was. Well, he's definitely exploded. This he was where the dynamite was. Fool is somehow not. He got behind a wall, but it still blew up. It, <laughs> the money's fine. Well, money is just like flying out of everywhere. It's like there was so much of it, and it was where the explosion was, so it's just coming out of every crevice in the house. Yeah, it's like, and. And everyone's yeah, it, it's good to see Lando. It's pretty fun. It, it's it's a fairly satisfying ending. Like it doesn't feel entirely realistic necessarily, but never oh, the no, movie never good. does feel realistic. It's not a realistic movie. It's a movie that's very uh, ridiculous and over the top pretty much all the time. Uh, it, and even though it's like very satirical and pretty darkly satirical in a lot of ways, it's it's still funny. Like it's so, uh, it, it, it's so exaggerated that it's still comical all the time. Yeah. It does feel like I'm watching like, well, I feel it really has a home alone vibe. It's kind of a home alone vibe. It, it's got uh, like Candyman, I think is a really great uh, reference point. Although Candyman is a much more seriously, uh, it's, it's a much more serious movie in terms of just the, the tone. It's, it's not ever really meant to be comical. This one's, even though the horror is pretty harsh and gruesome in it, uh, it's still often played for laughs. It's got a really weird, silly energy to it at times too. It's a lot of fun. It's very, very fun. Uh, so this particular disc, uh, this was the original Blu-ray release of it, so it has absolutely jack shit in terms of extras, not even a trailer or menu screen. Uh, I, I will probably upgrade to the Shout Factory Collector's Edition at some point, because I really like this. Uh, I had seen this once before when I was really young, 
when probably I was too young for it, like maybe when it was brand new on VHS. Oh boy. Uh, so, and I only really remembered a few very vague things about it. Like I, I remembered the people under the stairs. I remembered it being kind of gory and messed up. I had forgotten that it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten that it's just weird and just kind of bizarre and goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't seen it before, so I thought the people under the stairs were going to be the villains, but they're just another part of this movie, another part of this horrible house with these horrible people. Well, they're they're additional victims. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. Uh, it's it's that sort of movie. Uh, and, and I think like that's a conscious thing to make them seemingly the the title making them appear to be the villains and the first few times we see them or the first any any time they're referenced up until late in the movie they are presented as menacing uh but what we realize is that the real villains are white slum lords as is usually the case yeah i mean e- even in a fantasy world they're the worst <laughs> i mean it's the plot of every scooby doo movie too that's oh, true ghosts. no it's white slum lords that's true yeah Uh, So any further thoughts on People Under the Stairs before we move on to our second film? Um, No, um, just that I recommend it. It's a good, fun watch. Uh, It does get get spooky. Um, It does get creepy. It gets disturbing. And there's certainly some... There, there's some triggers. You know, there's race stuff. There is the dog being killed. There's child abuse. There's a lot of nasty stuff in it but it's not played harsh it's like it's not played bleak everything is played like if i forgot about all the gore and everything i might i might start thinking of this as a children's film yeah like it definitely does feel like an r-rated children's film it it has the it, it has the approach to the material of a children's film it feels like it's meant to uh meant to what's the word uh meant to convey a lesson in, in a weird sort of way and the uh, lesson is don't trust don't trust landlords they're evil and also don't go into weird people's houses unless you're willing to take your life into your hands and rescue the people who they've kept in prison for who knows how many years I mean, I'd say that that's a, a, a good thing to live by. Uh, and this is, I, I think the movie was inspired by an actual case of something like this. Obviously, oh, this shit, is something really? that has happened from time to time. Uh, and, and I think I read that this was based on a case where uh, some Los Angeles couple had, I, I think it was their own children locked up in a basement for years, uh, oh. rather than it being uh, a bunch of stolen children. Uh, and obviously not quite as horrifying as this like not tongues ripped out or uh cannibalism or anything just you know more more standard child abuse i guess which is both more and less horrifying i guess yeah. uh so so this is replaced in the stacks with uh appropriately enough the cellar which is a a movie about an evil entity at a basement uh and about a, a native curse on some texas farm it's a movie by kevin tenney uh, who also did 
uh, Night of the Demons, probably most famously, and Witchboard, which are both pretty cool movies. I haven't watched The Cellar yet. That's his first film. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess we'll move on to our next part. All righty. Okay, uh, so our second movie for the evening is uh, Michel Suave's 1991 film The Sect, produced by Dario Argento. Uh, this movie is crazy. <laughs> oh, this movie is wild. This is another one that took me two attempts to watch because the first time it just, I tried to watch it too late in the night and I was too high and it just overloaded my brain and just shut me down. So I had to watch it twice. Yeah, and this movie has, I, I, I would say, first off, uh, if you're a fan of Dario Argento, this has imagery in that same sort of style and is totally a recommend in that regard. It looks beautiful. It really does. Uh, a lot of really gorgeous imagery. Uh, so our main character in this is Kelly Curtis, uh, the sister of Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, and what is her deal exactly at the beginning? Um... Her deal is she's a teacher. Um, she was an orphan. She has a bunny rabbit and a bunch she has of a fish. magical, a magical bunny rabbit. Yes, she does. The bunny rabbit is indeed magical, as we later are left to infer. Um, that's that's all we really know about her. We don't know a whole lot about her. Well, and ultimately, I get the impression that she doesn't know a lot about her, I, I think, is something we kind of get get like much later on in the movie. We we learn some revelations about her past and what she's meant for. Like she has a destiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, she does. This movie's sort of like a Rosemary's Baby. Uh, it, it's It's got the same sort of plot where. It's it's someone who is being groomed to bring forth the Antichrist or something. You know, I maybe. kind of I kind of got a hereditary vibe from it for maybe similar reasons, although a little bit the same sort of stuff. Like it's it's someone who is being moved towards some sort of supernatural thing by some sort of cult. But it's all sort of swirling around them, and they don't know what's happening to them while it's happening. Yeah, so we begin in 1970 at uh, some kind of hippie commune or something. Um, not really sure. It's a bunch of hippies. There's a trailer. There's a bunch of junk. Maybe they just – maybe it's not a commune. Maybe they just live in a trailer. Could be. And this, the weirdest-looking kid ever leaves to go take a piss. <laughs> this kid with with like a mullet and he's got overalls and no shirt and his face is just Bizarre I don't know, looking. something about this kid just uh, stayed with me and then along comes who I thought was going to be our villain um, uh, Dirty Jared Leto he's just like this creepy drifter from out of the desert uh, and he seems to he's he's very sinister Right away. Oh, yeah. He gives off the creepy vibes right away. And he's like, I've been traveling a long time. I'd like some water. So they bring him back to the trailer because they're in the middle of a desert. You're not going to. Yeah, you just you, you got to have the hospitality for that. And he starts talking about uh, he starts singing the Rolling Stones. 
you can't um, always get what you want. Oh yeah, right. Sympathy for sympathy the devil. Sympathy for right. the devil, and like uh, he's like, ah, oh, the Rolling Stones. They are not for everyone, but if but if you hear them and you like them, then you understand the message. Because as you know, very few people like the Rolling Stones. Not a real popular band, band at all. Oh. Yeah, re- real like, niche band. Uh, not like one of the most popular bands of that era specifically. You know, they they weren't heard at, of them. They weren't at the complete peak of circa nineteen early nineteen seventies when uh, this is supposed to be set. Not a, not at all. So eventually, Jared Leto or Jesus or whatever this guy's supposed to be, his name is Damien. Of course, uh, he he sac- he kills all these people and sacrifices them to some devil, and then he goes over to this really nice car. And he's like, I did it. I did the thing where I killed the people for the stuff. Oh, and the guy in the car is like, oh, good. No, everything is in place. When is it? The, when's the shit going to happen? Oh, you must be patient. It might take years. Fast forward to, uh, I guess, present day Frankfurt, Germany. Um, yeah, fast forward 20 years, basically. Uh, and we, we should note that it's a whole brutal sequence of him uh sacrificing everybody who was in this little hippie commune uh like throwing them into a fire yep um he just stabs and stabs them um yeah i kind of glossed over it but it's pretty pretty brutal yeah and and there's a lot there's one character this movie yeah there's one character that we uh sort of like meet centrally there who's sort of their leader uh and he kind of teases her as potentially not being sacrificed i i feel like i don't remember exactly how that plays out there there's a lot of things where and i guess it's sort of a, a demon thing or a, a a satan thing where things are promised that are not followed through on oh yeah definitely um so, so we catch yeah. up with our teacher and is is it right away that we meet the the guy who puts the thing in her nose uh not not yet we missed the part where a creepy bald guy murders the seemingly random woman in her house and then pickpockets take the heart out of the creepy bald guy's uh, trench coat oh yeah that's crazy and then he runs away uh gets caught by cops and commits suicide and then we get to catch up to our teacher Right, and that guy, do what does he connect to later on? Like, I know he's a member of this cult, right? Do do we like learn what his the purpose of this we, particular part was? I'm not sure if we do. He, okay. he just he basically says it wasn't me; it was them. They made me do it. I was a patsy, a patsy, I tell ya. Right. Um, we don't learn if he really was a patsy or what. We don't learn anything about this guy. Okay, I I couldn't remember because I I knew that I I mean he clearly had something to do with the central sect or cult uh, who or, was or involved. Maybe we in this. do learn, and I just blinked in that scene. It's entirely possible. This movie throws so much at you. Yeah. So, uh, teacher lady is or no, it's old dude who's on a greyhound. Um coughing and dying and then he takes these eyedroppers and i couldn't look at this scene oh yeah it was gross 
Uh, he puts this eyedropper stuff in his eye, but it's like it's blood. And, I think oh, it's is that blood. What it is? I think he's just putting blood in his eyes. Or or something like it's it's a dark colored substance that he's putting in his eyes and it's really gross. So gross. It's it's like. So then he gets off the bus, he's on the street, he uh, looks at the sun and then teacher lady hits him with her car and she's all like, no, I didn't hit you. I didn't actually hit you. Um, I missed you by inches and then you just fell over. I did not hit you. I did not. He's just like wandering in the middle of the road. Like everybody else who was on the bus are all like off the road elsewhere. And he's just, I, he's just blindly wandering down the center meridian on this, on, on like a blind curve too. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it's not really her fault either. Cause it's really like, not, but she's... what is this guy doing in the road? Yeah. Uh, but but he's not he harmed doesn't... by it either. Uh-huh. Uh, he doesn't want to go to the hospital, so she offers to take him to her house, which weird. he accepts. Also weird, but okay. Yeah, but he goes along with her, of course. Yep, and uh, okay, let's see. Okay, so the guy knows that the lady's name is Miriam, even though she hasn't told him that. Right. Um, uh, and... He's the one who has the bugs, right? These he weird the historic mind insects. And and we learn a little about these later on, that there are these insects that are supposed to be extinct, but are like from prehistoric times and have mind controlling properties, maybe? Um, not mind control, but what they do is the bugs go into your nose and lay eggs in your brain and the larvae eat your brain. And then you die is what's supposed to happen. Okay. Um, that's not quite what actually happens, but no. that's what's supposed to happen. Because it, it it has a, a different outcome altogether. So I was thinking that it had something to do with mind control as well, because they don't eat her brain at all. Well, I kind of think they might. She makes some questionable decisions later on. I think that's more just the way this movie is written and the way people interact in this movie, though. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that people do that doesn't seem natural. Well, it seems like dream logic or nightmare logic, more accurately, uh, very much there, in keeping with the Dario Argento thing. It's it's a dream logic kind of approach. Yeah, and <laughs> we we go from the insect going into her nose. Um, so, yeah, they have a conversation about whatever and then she the old man goes to sleep on the couch and then she passes out in her bed and then he goes and puts a bug in her nose and we go we get bug vision camera as it's going mm-hmm. into her nose and and the bug vision turns like goes to white and then the the clouds part and we're in her and now we can see her dream through i guess bug vision and mm-hmm. she's in this red field um um uh, stuff happens in the dream oh my god there's so much there's a naked guy tied up to a tree uh, the bunny cries like a baby in the dream and then she's got like these super duper stretchy long legs tied up to a rope and then a bird comes out from inside her dress and starts pecking her this all happens in about like 30 to 50 seconds 
Yeah, and like this bird is really key, as we'll learn later. And she seems to have this fear of being pecked at by a bird. Uh, but there's also, it's part of her destiny as well, as it turns out. Yeah, so so she wakes up screaming, of course. Uh, Necessarily. She goes, yeah, as you do, as, as I would. Um, she goes down and finds out that the old man has fallen over and collapsed. Um, oh, the, important, the whole time this old man is being really defensive about this package that he won't let anybody else touch. He's got this package with him. But anyway, yeah, he's collapsed. Uh, she tries to call the ambulance. There's no thing. So she drives to the doctor's house to try to wake up the doctor. And Right, because uh, it's the middle of there. the night. Yeah. So as she leaves to go get the doctor, he gets up and starts poking around the house and gets to this, he finds this whole underground complex in the basement uh, with a port or with like a manhole that leads into a sewer and there's a factory. It's like this deep blue portal into hell. (laughs) That's exactly what it turns out to be. Yeah, it, it, it seems like just this endless, and, and it's like this beautiful blue color, but just this incredibly deep portal into nowhere, into nothing. Uh, great, great, like, locale to to have for, a, like, under a, a haunted place in a movie. Very cool. Yeah, it's got, like, this weird spirally shaped skylight that's really nifty. Mm-hmm. That you can see, that you can see various times when you're looking up from the well. Uh, yep. So he drops the box into the well, and that's when shit starts hitting the fan. Right, like the whatever he has put in there uh, is the catalyst for all of this stuff. Perhaps related to what we saw at the beginning uh, with uh, all of the sacrifices and all of that stuff. Like he's clearly a part of all of this. They're oh, they're yes. all working towards this same rosemary rosemary's baby esque goal of uh some sort of antichrist or or something like that and then after the guy puts the box in the well his job done he uh puts his face cloth over his face and then he just lies down and dies yeah and that face cloth uh will come back oh it comes back a lot uh, it, it is the cover image on the Blu-ray disc, which is uh, pretty cool. It's this weird face cloth that has the whole indentation of the face, uh, and it smothers people. <laughs> That's just one of the things. That, it's one uh, of the things that happens it does. in this movie. Yeah. So, so that's that's a monster that's running around this house now. Is this face enchanted cloth. face cloth? Evil face cloth. Um, so the lady comes back with the doctor's nephew, I guess, who is also a doctor, and I don't like him. He's he's weird and creepy and mansplainy and tries to inappropriately hit on her, but also doesn't seem it. I don't like him. I don't like this doctor guy. Yeah, he seems like kind of a bit of a turd. Yeah, like he, he's, he's creep. played as evil, but he's written creepy. You get a lot of that, I, I would say, especially in Italian horror written in English. Uh, for some reason, you get a lot of characters like that in these movies. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I guess it's almost a type that you get. Okay. Um, oh, oh, important to note that while the guy's doing the thing with the package, dropping that in the hole and dying, 
the bunny is watching the whole thing. Oh, of course. Dun, dun, dun. And like we we have been getting impressions that this bunny has some sort of special powers already. Like it, it seems like every time we have a scene that the bunny is doing something, it seems to be magical. It seems to have some sort of magical properties. And the guy's sus- the old guy is suspicious of it right from the beginning. And so is the doctor guy. Yeah, which like, makes the doctor, the doctor guy, guy pretty suspicious, suspicious too. Though. Yeah. Because he's supposedly just a normal guy, but he's all like, oh, no, the bunny's hiding. Oh, the bunny did it. He ends up being right, but, you know. Yeah. Um, let's see. Now, this is the part where the blue silly string infects the water supply. Um, yeah, just like a, a weird, I, I guess it's supposed to be some sort of algae or plankton. It's but, gross anyway. It looks kind of looks like silly string or gummy worms. But living somehow. And, and oh, just like yeah. uh, automatically uh, uh, replicating, self-replicating. Yep. Um, she accidentally drinks some of it with her water. Yeah. And how could you how could she not notice it? Because it, it's like this glowing blue stuff in a glass of water. It's very like visible. You can see from her viewpoint as she's drinking the water, like you could, she'd be able to see it because you could see it. Yeah, exactly. It's very noticeable. At some point, we get a scene of she's down in the basement in this factory thing, and there's this Chinese woman just there. Uh, she runs away. That's the end of that. Do you figure the blue stuff? <sighs> with so the the prehistoric insect right it's technically uh-huh. supposed to uh consume the brain but it doesn't for her do we think maybe it has something to do with this blue stuff that the combination of the blue stuff uh has a different effect i was definitely not thinking about this movie that hard but yes yes Could i be. think that's possible because we don't really know the separate reasons for those but we do know that collectively they're like all of the various things that happen there's so much crazy shit and individually we're never really sure why a specific thing is happening or i, I shouldn't say never but a lot of the time it's not clear why something is happening but collectively they all work towards the same ultimate purpose so theoretically some of these things are dovetailing and we just don't know how or why well the the chinese woman comes up later on i can't remember where but she does show up again yeah um i i think she might be part of the big group at the end oh she is yeah Uh, and we see a scene of the rabbit watching tv and changing the channels so I, I can't remember, is it changing the channels with its mind or is it actually using the remote control? Oh, no, it's using the remote control. It's using the remote boss. control. Yeah, okay. That's crazy. Yep. Like yep. Either way is crazy, but I don't know which is more bizarre. Uh, yeah. That it so, knows how to use the remote or that it is psychic. <laughs> like Psychic kind of feels less silly. Yeah, yeah, it was really funny because you can tell it's a puppet that they're using very obvious yeah yeah so um now we see a teacher lady doing the teaching and uh getting all these people to make uh getting all the kids to make drawings of their favorite animal animal and creepy child draws prehistoric insect bug and this is 
where we learn about that because she goes to see the parents is like no your mother or your kids drawing weird creepy shit right it's like oh no it's not creepy shit it's just a prehistoric bug that her mother is absolutely obsessed with and has covered all the walls of their uh, office with yeah and that's not this bug that's obviously not creepy at all and his behavior isn't like a frightening outgrowth of her behavior sure <laughs> yeah so they they ex- here's where they explain that uh, the bug eats brains basically right. and then i don't think we really see these people ever again no i don't think so they're they're really just here to provide the background on the bugs that they're prehistoric and that they are specifically extinct already like long extinct 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 before human history well not quite they said or almost for ten thousand years so yeah there's a bit of history there but it's a long time yeah um at some point we meet the teacher's lady friend from the school um who i guess somehow i've written down that she gets strangled to death by the face cloth but then yeah the the face cloth goes after her she turns into an undead prostitute. She goes to this truck stop and seduces this trucker who then stabs her. Um, oh, yeah, that uh, scene is in crazy. His, in his rape dungeon truck trailer. Yeah, um, like, I, I don't know what was going on here, but, like, the, this scene just comes out of nowhere, and it's brutal. Uh, and, like, even... The guy who's stabbing her seems pretty surprised by it. Oh, yeah. Well, he's like, he's basically saying, he's mirroring the the guy at the beginning who mm-hmm. didn't go anywhere. Like, oh, no, I had to do it. It wasn't me. It was them. Yeah, and it's uh, like an exact mirror of that scene. Like, it, it happens almost the same way. I think he stabs her the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah, so... That's the end of that scene. Mm-hmm. That's the end of those characters. Um, now we go back to the teacher's house. The blue shit has gotten into the aquarium and has killed the fish and is turned into kind of like, uh, like a like a bramble thing on, inside the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she gets. Oh, and then she bathes in the bath water that's all blue. Yeah, which does not like... seem like a good idea. It, it's weird how, like, I don't know if if it's just that we see the blue stuff, but the characters do not. Because I don't know. Because it's so obvious, and I don't know why anyone would possibly like ingest it or get into it. If I well, saw maybe... that, I would not be getting into that bath. Well, maybe the brain bugs. I guess it could be the brain bugs too. See it. Like, I figure the two of them have to be tied together in some sort of way. There there needs to be some connection between the two. It's just like there needs to be some connection between why that lady went to the trucker's rape dungeon and to get killed. Well, and she was already semi-undead or something, because she had already had been smothered by the face cloth. Uh, and was maybe oh, we acting... We haven't seen the last of her either. No, yeah. Um, oh, so then at this point, I think the lady gets a message on her answering machine from the old guy. Remember him from like half an hour ago who died by face cloth? 
Mm-hmm. It's like, I've left my journal here. I will be coming back to get it. And now she's freaked out because he's supposedly dead. So the logical thing to do is her and the doctor go to break into the hospital morgue and make sure that the dude's body is there. And that he's not up. actually going to be coming back for them. <laughs> and they open up the guy's coffin, which is like sealed in this like aluminum can or something, only to find that the that in the after they open it, it's just all this liquid and body parts floating, and it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like a sludge. Yeah, but the guy doesn't really say much about it. Let's see. Um, oh, oh, and meanwhile, she has found her friend in the morgue. Right, as, as well, uh, from the stabbing at the truck stop. Yeah, she gets up and... I just have written, she gets up and commits suicide, so this will be like the third time she's died in about <laughs> sometimes ten minutes. It's, yeah, it's it's not clear sometimes what is a dream and what is a flashback and what is not happening. Yeah. Um, at some point we learn that the head doctor of the hospital is in on the evilness and working with uh, the Jared Leto guy. Yeah, the the guy from the very beginning, the the creepy uh, the, the hippie slaughter guy. Yeah, in the desert. Uh, yeah, um, Doc Boy, uh, the her doctor friend, finds the journal, and there's art, there's drawings in the journal that basically indicate that this house is special to, I guess, the cult or whatever. Um, right, and that's why there's that portal to hell under it. Which he drops the journal into and climbs in to go get it. Meanwhile, I, I, I don't think I'd want to climb into a portal to hell, even well, if I dropped an important portal journal. To, yeah, but it's crazy. portal to hell yet. It's they just know that it's a sewer underneath a house that has creepy blue water that turns that does some gummy worm stuff. But like, it's so it's far so to gross. climb down too. It's so far. Ooh. And it would be terrifying, is all I'm saying. Wouldn't oh, yeah. go in there. Not um, chance. Meanwhile, the lady is asleep or something, and all these bugs are crawling out of her ears from the brain bug. Buddy is in the well. He's going through the uh, through the sewer to find uh, Jared Leto and the cult, uh, <laughs> torturing some random lady with these hooks that he just rips off her face yep face completely the, torn off and gives it to the old man who puts it on his own face <laughs> um oh my god i still have like another page of notes uh the doctor guy tries to leave escape through the well from the old man in the cult but the evil bunny we now learn is evil is there and bites him and he falls down and he's captured by them and then uh, and then, and then the lady, oh no, he becomes possessed. Yeah. Uh, he becomes possessed and does a here's Johnny, uh, through the war, through the door, trying to get at the, the lady who drives away and tips the car over and it looks like it's going to go boom, but it doesn't for a while. 
she goes back to the house and the old man is there and the cult is there and it's like oh we were going to make you give birth to the antichrist but he doesn't say it anywhere near that direct um well is oh this gosh. also where they have where the the scene where they drug her and she is raped by a giant pelican uh yes yes this is where she is raped by the pelican who pecks away at the same spot in her neck as in her dream sequence earlier yeah but now the pelican is pecking at it to eat the brain bugs that are inside and apparently got all the way down to her neck because she didn't get rid because the brain bugs didn't all escape from her ear she's just some of them are just like loose in her body i guess yeah yep she's just infested with these bugs now um the pelican eats the bugs while while raping her um the old man is like the sewer is the door to hell and i set everything up from the beginning and also i'm your father right he's like i am your father like he does a darth vader i am your father and like there's a big tube it's crazy and she's being lowered into the the well and she's like no it's not true and then she (laughs) she gives birth to a baby in the sewer water demon bird Um, baby yeah and then oh god what happened here's where i stopped taking notes because it was just going too fast somehow she gets out the guy's like oh you have a choice you can raise this baby or not and uh she takes the baby to the burning wreckage of the car and lights herself and the baby on fire yep um I guess she lights the old man on fire too. There's an explosion, a bunch of explosions. Yeah, like everything goes up. It, it gets lit up pretty fast. And then the fire department is hosing down the corpses. Yeah, that's really weird. And they just kind of hose all the ash off uh, of her, right? And she's just fine. <laughs> Underneath her burning skeleton is her. Yeah. Apparently. But the baby saved her because the baby saved her because it was her baby. And I bet she feels like a real jerk for killing it. But that's not addressed (laughs) at all. It's it's so fucking weird. (laughs) This movie. um, I don't know if I liked it or not. I didn't have a chance to think about it. I I love it. I I love it because it's so bonkers. Like it, it is like it, it is off the hook right from the start and it never ever stops being completely crazy like there there is never a moment where it settles down and it's like okay i think i have an idea of what's happening or where this is going it's always just like this this thing is totally off the rails at every moment yeah there, there's just so much going on you don't see how anything's connected to anything else uh we don't like yeah we've just been guessing about the blue silly string liquid and the brain bugs we've well, been like, guessing about everything I, I guess the thing is that we're given a lot of different uh backgrounds for things we're 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 told about these things lots of different times but they're not consistent uh and they sort of shift in the way they work because it's all magic stuff so you know it, it doesn't have any real consistent reality to it it's just a lot of stuff happening 
Uh, and it also looks really great. Uh, it, it, it is really beautifully shot. Uh, very colorful. Lots of great use of color. Like that deep blue portal to hell. Has, yeah, it's and just a really gorgeous the blue. The witch? The room, the room that has the portal oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, like totally. It's got these, uh, I guess, like, I don't know, fresco paintings that are kind of like peeled away. And it, it's really bright, which you don't expect in this kind of movie with a presumably devil summoning cult facility. Bright brightness and really sharp uh, contrasting colors. Uh, these like, again, these are very uh, Dario Argento type style choices. Uh, really cool. Like everything associated with the cult always seems to be this one particular shade of blue. Mm-hmm. Um, her faucet is this really striking bright green, and I don't know why that. Like it, like so much that it stands out in any scene that it's in, and I don't know why. Yeah, it's just because it because the color pops because it looks cool, uh, and and, and I really appreciate that about this movie that it it is often more interested in being visually exciting and interesting than it is in being coherent. <laughs> oh, this is not a movie you want to think about. you got to turn your brain off. Well, you can think about it, but you've got to be prepared to really, really think about it and, and put a lot of different things together because it's not going to tell you everything. Uh, it's not a movie that's interested in giving you all of this all of the points it's more just here are a bunch of things that are happening and all of these move towards this purpose but how they fit together is sort of up to you to put them together yeah like there's stuff i still haven't figured out how any how is connected to anything else um there's so much going on and it's not and it's not interested like this oh this is definitely a style movie over over substance, and it works. Yeah, it's it's uh the the style is great, <laughs> and I mean like most of these horror movies don't have a ton of substance, so uh, I'll I'll take style any day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if if it weren't for these notes, I could not tell you anything about this movie. Well, yeah, like I watched this movie a couple weeks ago, uh, and I don't remember any of the plot line i just remember images uh because it has very striking imagery like you, there are a lot of things that you look at and it's like wow i i have that image in my brain but i don't remember how that image connects to any of these other images that i have from this movie well even just like the shape of the spiral skylight like that symbol sticks in your head mm-hmm. no explanation is given as to what the symbol means but it's in there yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff of just shapes, colors. It's it's all about the visual interest. It's cool. Uh, all right, any please. Um, I recommend it. Uh, it's it's wild. It's it, it is crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it is one of those that like, you know, if you want to see something that is unlike anything else. It's it's a good one. <laughs> uh-huh. It's there. There's nothing else really quite like it. There, like it has elements of some Rosemary's Baby. It's got a cult. It's got that whole Antichrist story. But it's way crazier than that. It's a very different approach to it. Yep. You said it, bum. <laughs> All right. She's a good kitty. All right. So I, I guess we'll move on to our final section. All right. 
Uh, all right, so we're heading on to our final section. Uh, first, beginning with uh, the stuff I've watched, the moves from the stacks, and we've got a lot this week. I have been... Oh, wow, do we ever. I'm just <laughs> looking at it for the first time. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, For some reason, I just watched so much stuff this past week. Uh, so we start with Chariots of the Gods, uh, which is the original Ancient Aliens documentary. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this one before. I love this movie. It's not good science or anything, but it's <laughs> this really, really well shot travelogue. Like it, it goes all over the world. You visit a lot of interesting ancient locales, uh, looking a lot of like classic cave paintings and uh, hieroglyphics and pyramids and all sorts of stuff like both, you know, pyramids in Egypt, pyramids in South America. And it's all about how, you know, ancient aliens, obviously. Uh, I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. It's it's the entire genesis of multiple years of History Channel uh, programming. Uh, And it also has an possibly have made this back then because they weren't white. That is exactly the argument they make multiple times, basically. Uh, Just like, I mean, these people were very primitive people in in europe couldn't have done this so it was not done it was aliens that kind of stuff it's it's not great in that regard but it's so fun it moves really quick just kind of very breezy moving from place to place it's really all over the world it it has a lot of uh good it's like it's really well shot has a lot of great footage of different locations and the score just totally bangs this really great psychedelic lounge score uh yeah totally an all-time favorite okay uh i also watched please oh uh so this movie does this have the aliens guy no this is like you know 19- the guy. yeah no this is like 1970 so oh, like, this is the original original one yeah no that that guy's like aughts that guy hasn't been born yet no but that he guy was he, he was definitely influenced by chariots of the gods in a very big way uh i also watched fiend it's a Don Doler picture. I talked about this briefly last week. It's this. It's it's sort of a serial killer movie technically, but it's a zombie movie. So it's this this zombie. Uh, we see in the opening sequence this red light comes and travels into the grave, and then he rises from the grave, and he has a hunger for the essence of other humans. So like he has to kill to retain his life force. Uh, so like he starts to decompose if he hasn't killed anyone recently. So he's just living on this sleepy little suburban cul-de-sac outside of Baltimore and just gradually killing people off from time to time. But he's so obviously the creepiest guy on the street and is constantly acting incredibly suspicious to everyone. So it's weird that no one picks up on it. But at the same time, this is a movie made in 1980 at the peak of the serial killer thing. And it kind of feels like it's about that. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, pretty good. It's very cheap. Uh, it's a Don Dollar picture. Uh, he also did like Night Beast and Alien Factor. Uh, and it's it's very, very low budget, but it was fun. All right. Uh, I watched Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and uh, that's the completion of a stack because uh, that's the whole uh, TOS movies box set. Uh, so we'll be choosing from the inactive stacks this week. Ah, 
so this is the close to the TOS series. Basically, uh, we do get Shatner coming back once more for generations, but this is basically the goodbye to the TOS cast. And it's great. It's Nicholas Meyer who wrote and directed number two uh, and co-wrote number four. So clearly Nicholas Meyer is a big part of the even numbered Star Trek thing that people love. Okay. Because he wrote all of the even numbered ones in the TOS series, basically. Uh, it's got a lot of the same aesthetics as TNG, uh, and it's basically setting up TNG. It's it's the Klingon peace treaties movie and sort of dealing with uh, them doing various things and some like a false flag operation, actually, in with with the Klingons. Oh, now this one, I've seen bits and pieces of it when I was young, but never the whole thing. Um, was this the one where the bad guy is some Klingon who's like, when you cut me, do I not bleed? Uh, I think that's not the, I, I think the other Klingon, like, I, I think that's David Warner's character. There's two different Klingons. There's one who's sort of a good guy who, who is quoting Shakespeare quite a bit, uh, okay. and he is actively trying to make the peace treaty work. But there's also like a second in command guy who's played by Christopher Plummer, who's this Klingon who's setting up this false flag operation and trying to secretly uh, create a war again between the Klingons and the Federation. There's always someone trying to do that. There always is. Uh, I also watched like Klingons like when there's war. Uh, you know Klingons, what? Klingons, they, they have a thing for war. They've, they've been known to be interested in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also watched Invaders of the Lost Gold, which obviously is trying to cash in on Raiders of the Lost Ark with it, with its name. Uh, it's a jungle adventure movie. It's from like 1982. So it's like right after Raiders. Uh, it's kind of dull. I, I was really disappointed by this one. It's, it's very cynical. It's nasty. It's got some gore, but like, it feels like a 40s jungle adventure serial that's just mean-spirited. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I w was not a big fan of that one, unfortunately. Oh, dang. Uh, I watched Assault on Precinct 13, obviously the, the second John Carpenter film. It's fucking masterpiece. It's such a great movie. So it's a movie where there's a police station, which is closing down. It's the last uh -huh. night that it's in operation. It's kind of a, like a disused police station in like a really nasty neighborhood. And uh, it's it's sort of like away from the main city. So it's like suburban, basically. But there's this gang who just lays siege to it. And this gang, they're not explicitly supernatural, but they're just this never-ending horde. Uh, constantly coming at the place uh, and they have no like we never see them talk we never see them doing anything other than being this merciless attacking force interesting um now this is another one uh, of john carpenter's i haven't seen it's great possibly my absolute favorite john carpenter score uh it's very gritty it's it's quite harsh uh and there's there's a character called Napoleon Wilson who is both totally awesome and really feels like sort of a dry run for the Snake Plissken character. Like he he has a lot of the same attitude that uh, Carpenter would write for Snake Plissken in the Escape from New York movie a little bit later. Okay, cool. Yeah, totally great. Uh, I watched The Game, which is uh, not the 
not the Michael Douglas film, but the Bill Rabane film is a confusing one. So it's there's this group of billionaires, these three billionaires who like to gather these people together in their in this mansion every I think once a year to play some death games where they like they're going to test their fears. Uh, but the games aren't real. They don't really die. Or maybe they are real, but they're not real, but they are real. I don't actually know. I, I have no idea what happened by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It keeps switching back and forth. There's, there's all these twists and it's like, Oh, it's real. And like, no, it's not real. And, but it is real. And I don't know. I, I ultimately don't know what happened. It's very Bill Rabane. <laughs> like Bill Rabane, most famously, I guess, did monster a go, go. It's like a fifties, like late fifties uh, sci-fi horror about like an astronaut who comes back to earth and goes on a rampage because he's like irradiated or possess- possessed by some sort of alien force or something. Uh, and famously at the end, they ran out of money. So it just sort of like it, it has them chasing the alien. And then there's like a text screen and something like, and maybe nothing actually happened and it wasn't real. And, they found the the astronaut and it turned out he was totally okay and there was never a monster to begin with like what the fuck and then the cops arrested all the actors well it's it's like the like monster a go-go ends and it's like perhaps there wasn't a movie after all and <laughs> the game kind of it's, it's that same sort of feeling it's like uh, but maybe this didn't actually happen. Maybe none of it happened. Maybe some of it happened. Did anything happen? I don't even know. The end. <laughs> like, okay, I mean, fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, I also watched The Curse of Frankenstein, which is the first Hammer picture. Like a Hammer Horror, very famous horror studio. Okay. Uh, so it's Peter Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, and it's much more about the doctor uh there's actually very little with the monster although christopher lee plays the monster when when he does show up uh and it's mostly about frankenstein sort of going from youth to adulthood being completely obsessed with this idea of reanimating the dead and so we meet him as like a teenager who hires this guy to tutor him and also work with him as his assistant as like mad scientists it's pretty cool all right. It's gritty. Uh, I watched Rancho Deluxe, which I also talked a bit about last week. That's the Jeff Bridges and Sam Waterston movie where they're hippie cattle rustlers in Montana. Ah, uh, uh, yes. It's uh, directed by Frank Perry. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's just, it, it is a very chill movie. It's them hanging out. Uh, unfortunately, it has a soundtrack by Jimmy Buffett. Uh, not too bad, honestly, but, you know, Jimmy Buffett, I, I don't really, not a fan. Uh, but it's cool. It's it's fun to see them just being hippie cattle rustlers. It's uh, they they have a scheme going with Harry Dean Stanton, uh, who works at a ranch, and they're working on doing some big job, but they're just too stoned to really bother with it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, I also watched A Master Builder, which is the third Wallace Shawn Andre Gregory collaboration film so uh, you know who wallace sean is uh you may not know the name he's most famously in princess bride inconceivable that's the guy yes so he's 
a big theater guy. Like before he was an actor, he was a fairly well-respected playwright. Uh, and he still is like hit the theater is right. Really his main game, but he does a lot of character acting cause he's just super good at it. And he's uh-huh. just incredibly funny to watch. So this is his, his two previous films with Andre Gregory. They're very stage oriented. So the first one is famously my dinner with Andre. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I definitely have not seen, but have heard of it. Yeah, it's just a movie where Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory have a dinner and have a conversation. Uh, So not very, uh, it's not exactly blockbuster cinema, but it's, it's wonderful. Like it's some, it's just really fun to watch. There's just something about Wallace Shawn that makes it so magnetic to watch. And the two of them having conversation really works. Uh, They made an arcade game out of it on The Simpsons. They sure did. (laughs) Uh, Their second film is... Uh, Vanya on 42nd Street, which is uh, an adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's uh, play Uncle Vanya, but it's set in like this disused 42nd Street uh, theater. Like, you know, 42nd Street was where all the exploitation and porno theaters were in New York. Okay. So it's just this disused, kind of busted up old 42nd Street theater, and they're sort of practicing the play, but also performing the play uh and it's this weird sort of meta thing so kind of like what you get with birdman but i feel it does it a lot better oh okay okay uh so i did like birdman yeah i like birdman more or less it's got some problems but i i do feel like vanya on 42nd street is sort of a similar kind of approach to the material except this one it's based on an existing play and it's sort of more meta about uh that play and how plays are performed which is really cool so this third one this is the third collaboration between the two of them and this is the one that i watched this week is a master builder which is another henrik ibsen play uh the original one's just called uh, master builder solness and it has wallace sean as this aging uh builder like he's a guy who builds buildings most famously he builds very phallic towers uh but he's having a midlife crisis at least in the original version of the movie or in the original version of the play he's having a midlife crisis and he doesn't want to rest any control to uh his second in command or like i i guess it's the guy who's it's it's his partner's son uh anyway the movie is fucking awful i hated it so much and it was such a goddamn disappointment because i absolutely love the other two sean gregory films but this one it's just such a drag it's so incredibly stiff and stagey like it doesn't have any of the life that they breathe that they breathe into ibsen with their vanya it's just they're they're in this one house that's shot on digital video and it's just endless endless stiff talking and like the the way the scenes are acted like it's it's just weird it never feels authentic i think wallace sean is doing like a hell of a performance and everyone else is trying but it doesn't feel like it was rehearsed it doesn't feel like there was a concept for the way everyone else was playing it so it just feels discordant and chaotic it was rough (laughs) so i should watch my dinner with andre instead 
you should definitely see my dinner with Andre, and and that will be like both of the other two are are in a stack currently as well. I, I just wanted to check out this one because it was the only one I had not yet seen. Oof, big disappointment. Ah, well, that's a shame. <laughs> Uh, as a contrast in uh, something that I really liked, but that is trash, I watched <laughs> Carnival Magic, uh, which is the second to last b- film in the Al Adamson box. And oh. this movie, god damn, this movie was wild. So <laughs> this is a movie about, this is a children's movie by Al Adamson about a depressed magician who is grieving for his wife and child who died uh and he's working at this cheap failing crappy carnival where everyone hates him and no one can trust him because he's got this deep dark secret that he can't let anyone into his trailer or or let them know anything that's going on with him because he has the darkest secret of all he has a magical talking chimp (laughs) (gasps) it's not bodies it's a magical talking chimp uh, and it oh, makes so an overnight sensation and he becomes really successful and it turns out he has lots of real magic powers and he can read minds and uh, he has telekinesis and all sorts of shit. Man, this movie just goes totally crazy all the time. It was great. It was so much fun. Uh, notably, this movie appeared on one of the new seasons of Mystery Science Theater. Ooh, like a, right. One of the, the revival seasons. But that one rules. I, I had a great time with that. And this is the same guy who did Cinderella 2000 that we discussed uh, last week, I believe, right? Indeed it is. Uh, and uh-huh. some kind of level of just high, high-end high lunacy, just always going the, just somewhere totally crazy. Like, it's very sexual, which is weird because it is a children's movie, but, like, he has this very busty magician's assistant who does wear a see-through top during their during their show it's it's so wild uh i also watched deadlock which is a german western from 1970 with a score by can which is super cool uh very visually striking a very small cast it's i think five characters altogether, and one of them really only very briefly meet it's about this guy who he's there's this young rob a uh, young bank robber i guess uh he or maybe a train robber i think it's a train robbery uh and he has a machine gun and he's got a bullet in him that he kind of needs to get out and he comes across this other guy in the desert who decides to take advantage of it and he's going to just sort of keep him around and sort of nurse him but he won't take the bullet out because he wants him to get gangrene and ultimately die so he can take the money that he's stolen uh but he doesn't want to actually kill him to do it so he's helping him but not helping him yeah he's he's kind of like giving him shelter but like waiting for him to die uh and meanwhile his accomplice is on his way who's a much meaner guy uh, named Mr. Sunshine, and he's on his way with Han Solo's gun, and he's going to cause trouble as well. Uh, pretty pretty harsh, very bleak, uh, but like beautifully shot. Again, like really amazing to look at. Uh, this is a new 4K restoration, uh, and I actually have the 4K disc, but not a 4K system. But the restoration alone looked incredible, like honestly one of the best-looking discs I've seen in a while. Oh, okay. 
Uh, and very last one uh, that I watched, Satanico Pandemonium, uh, which is the nunsploitation one I was talking about a few weeks ago. Uh, it's about this nun who is just out in the wilderness and she meets a hairy naked guy who's Satan. Oh my God. Uh, and he obviously tempts her. Uh, she's already clearly into masochism. Like there's a part where she wraps a rope with nails in it around her stomach and is whipping herself and is kind of like turned on by it clearly, which is something. Uh, All so right. her her Satan tempting escalates incredibly fast. Like she she goes uh, like very very quickly after she has been tempted. Like her first thing, like she she uh, makes she makes a pass at someone, a sexual pass, uh, and when she's rejected, it goes to stabbing very quickly. Uh, it's not long before there are murders and arson and all sorts of stuff. It it's uh, pretty wild. Cool, cool. Uh, so uh, from those, what would you like to watch next week or cover oh, next week? Heck of a list. Quite a, a list. lot there, yeah. Some tough choices. Um, I think you sold me on a master builder. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm looking um, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking this time uh, I'd like to do Assault on Precinct 13 because I've been meaning to watch that. Uh, for some time i was leaning towards carnival magic but we just did an al adams in and we'll watch it that's one like when when we get together with a group of people next that's one we gotta watch Uh, yeah (laughs) well i almost kind of want to show them cinderella 2002 because that's you got you just got to see that and to believe this is the same yeah, I kind of feel like anytime I get together with people for a while, I'm going to have to put on an Al Adamson movie because there's so much there. Yeah, Assault on Precinct 13 is the one uh, the one I'm interested in. Uh, I'm also interested in Star Trek, but again, the same logic as last time. We're, I'm well, going to get to that one eventually. Yeah, and like I, I feel it has a much better effect if you've watched 3, 4, 5 as well. Like even maybe not necessarily 5, but at least 3 and 4 as well. Because, like, okay. the the gap between two to six, there's a lot of important stuff that takes place that you kind of, that that has a lot more impact when when you have all of them together. Uh, you mean I can't just go straight from Iron Man to Endgame? <laughs> I mean, probably lots of people did. I guess. Uh, so, uh, the stuff being added, uh, a little bit less here, but uh, a few things. So, we've got first, The Suckling. Which is uh, this was one that <laughs> appeared on Red Letter Media not long ago. Uh, I don't know if you saw that episode. Did we watch that one? I don't. I don't think so. I haven't watched any of their stuff in a while. Okay, because I, I know there was one that we watched on a live stream with Tony a while back. But uh, so this is a movie about an aborted fetus uh, at an, an unlicensed abortion clinic slash brothel. Which oh, is, I'm looking at the picture of the monster. <laughs> it's it's flushed down a toilet into toilet into toxic waste uh, oh, and no. becomes a mutant and uh, attacks the clinic slash brothel. I have not seen it. I my understanding is it's in incredibly poor taste, but it's pretty wild. 
Oh my god. <laughs> uh, also adding Shogun's Joy of Torture. This is an anthology movie about the horrors of the shogunate during the Edo era. So clearly the Edo era, as we, we spoke about a bit in our very first episode, uh, was a bit of a was a time of lawlessness and or maybe just extreme authoritarianism that uh, was brutal to anyone living underneath it. Uh, also, obviously, for the John Carpenters, uh, next one is Halloween. Uh, it doesn't really need much introduction. You got Michael Myers. It's the it's the Ur slasher film, the one that kind of generates the whole genre, even though there were a couple slashers before it, technically like Black Christmas. Now, was this before or after uh, Freddy or Jason? Before. This, uh, so, so this was basically the first one. Yeah, like this is, I think, 78. And then 80 is Friday the 13th. And I think 81 is Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe 82. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's the big one. It's kind of the one that uh, really sets the ball rolling. Although, of course, Black Christmas came out, I think, a couple years before and uh, is basically a slasher movie already. Uh, but that's made in Canada and not as popular. Mm. Uh, from the Bill Rabane set, we're up to the se- the second to last thing. It's Twister's Revenge. This is one of the few that I had actually seen before, uh, but I haven't in a while. It's a movie about a talking monster truck that has artificial intelligence. Uh, and it's sort of a exploitation comedy, but you know, they're, <laughs> it's a monster truck fighting these three stupid hicks that are trying to steal it i guess all right uh i we've also got jsa or joint security area this is park chan wook's first film uh before old boy oh Uh, and it's about violence breaking out in the demilitarized zone between north and south korea and sort of the ramifications for uh the culture in that area which is pretty cool Uh, this is one i've not seen as well but i've heard it's great all right. Uh, also adding Mail Order Murder. This is a documentary about Wave Productions, which is a shot on video independent uh, weird studio. Like they, they would do fetish films. They would do movies by request for people. Just a lot of bizarre shot on video nonsense uh, throughout the 90s. Uh, and they, they would like they they sold their movies through like mail order catalogs or like advertising in the back of like Fangoria and stuff like that. OK, uh, looks pretty cool. I, I've seen a couple wave things and it seems like it's going to be pretty zany uh, for the Adamson set. We're down to the very last film in the box, which is Lost. It's his other children's movie, uh, typical 80s kids movie about a runaway kid with a dog. Uh, they're a lost in the wilderness, you know, an incredible journey kind of thing, but the Al Adamson way. So I assume it will be weird. <laughs> the only thing it says in the description on the page is a little girl gets lost in the wilds of Utah. And I'm like, Oh boy, this with Al Adamson, this could go anywhere. And so with her little dog skipper. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and last edition is Patty Hearst, which is the Paul Schrader document or not documentary, uh, but dramatization. It's a film based on the kidnapping of Patty Hearst by uh, the SLA, which uh, I've heard is pretty good and fairly accurate to reality. For some reason, I thought this was the Patty that was with the uh, Manson family. 
Oh right, no, that's that's Big Patty. <laughs> yeah, I I I got him mixed up. <laughs> All right, so uh we are choosing from the inactive stacks for our main film next week. Uh, what do you figure we should watch? Now I've got the list open too. If you've got anything you've got questions on. Well, let's see. Uh, oh boy. The good, the bad and the ugly's on there. Uh, <laughs> I sure would. I sure do have a lot to say about that movie, but I saw it not too long ago. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it, it'll probably be there well because I there's a commentary track on it that I've been meaning to listen to so it's kind of just necessarily sitting at the top until I get around to that either way <laughs> <laughs> alright well um, one day one day we'll cover that totally I'm also eyeing uh, Seven Samurai now I'm looking at this this is the original uh, one isn't it yeah, so this is 1954, uh, Akira Kurosawa. So this is, was remade as Magnificent Seven. Uh, I should warn you, it is quite long. I, I think it's like around a three-hour one. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at those no, more than that. I'm looking at the runtime. It's like three and a half hours. Okay, yeah. I, I know it's a very long one. Uh, it's uh, great, <laughs> but like, be prepared for a big time investment on that one. Yeah, I was uh, I was gonna pick that, but then I saw that I was like, oh boy, it's gonna take me like a few days to get through it. Um, that one might be better for when we can record together in person and and actually watch them because we're close to that now. We are actually, both yeah, we are very close. Yeah, yeah, that shouldn't take too much longer. Yeah. Um, you know what? I think it's time we we need to cover phobe. Phobe. All right. Somebody needs to cover Phobe. Yeah. So. And I guess uh, it's got to be us. Phobe, the xenophobic experiments, 1995. This is a Canadian picture, uh, and uh, about uh, well, here, an ex-military specialist is called in one last time to recover deadly military experiment Phobe, who has escaped. Tracking the phobe to a small planet called Earth, Dap must stop the phobe and destroy the egg within 72 hours. Created, uh, used, discarded, destroyed. Now they are back. Uh, and, like, I, I know I often throw out joke numbers when I'm talking about something with a low budget, but I think this movie was literally made for $250. <laughs> like, I, I believe that's the stat that they quote on the back of the disc or something. <laughs> Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, that's that should be a good one. That will be our main picture next week. Come oh back. my god, we're gonna do a <laughs> deep dive into Phobe. Now, is this the one that the guys from Red Litter Media couldn't finish? Yes, it is. Uh, they decided it was too much just people wandering around in the woods shooting at each other, and there's a bit of that. Uh, but so are we gonna be the first people to actually cover this movie in depth? I don't know. I, I think this is it. <laughs> since we are Canadians, it's probably been covered by other Canadians. You know, it's it's yeah, one of those. Probably. That, it's it's got a cult following, especially in Ontario, and I think that's the biggest draw about it. it certainly for me, and what I enjoyed most about it is just how Canadian it was when watching it. <laughs> All right, we're doing a deep dive into phobe, the xenophobic experiments. What have I done to us? <laughs> Right on. All right. So next week uh, we have what was the second one? 
Oh, Assault on Precinct 13. So, right. So that's the phobic experience and Assault on Precinct 13, the original 76 version. <laughs> that's the awesome. secondary feature. <laughs> the second I love feature. this. This is going to be this. I don't know what's going to happen. This is going to be crazy. All right. Uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, and uh, keep watching the stacks. Good night. <laughs>